Hi, everybody. It is episode two of Reporting is Eligible. Um, I am Paul Noonan. I write for the Shepherd Express during football season, as well as the SB Nation blog, Acme Packing Company. Uh, with me, as hopefully always, will be... J.R. Radcliffe, trending sports reporter for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. I'm, uh, I, I, didn't, uh, I didn't get booed off the first one, so we're going to try number two here. Oh, no, well. couldn't have it without you. And... And my name is Matt, but you can call me Matub. Uh huh. <laughs> and I I make memes for uh, Acme Packing Company and SB Nation, and yes. sometimes yell into a microphone. So uh, what? Before we actually do get started here, I forgot last week to offer plugs at the end. So let's do them at the front. <laughs> um, do you have anything to that you would like to plug in your upcoming writing at work? Uh, well, let's see. What do we What do we got going on? I mean, this week I was <laughs> since it is summer, we're looking at the Brewers. Uh, wrote about them a, a little bit today, looking at all the forty five teams that are fighting for two playoff spots in the National league that is all available of course at jsonline.com run the milwaukee brewers podcast with tom hodricourt and todd rosiak each week you can find that at apple podcast at your spotify and that's uh you know just the milwaukee journal sentinel brewers podcast do the bucks one as well but we uh you know not much to talk about <laughs> not, these days not so. right now but no, soon soon yeah yeah, so yeah wherever they, you get your podcast just announced the nba schedule yeah. on uh, monday as well as the mlb schedule for that matter with schedule schedule palooza on monday so there was a lot going on I yeah guess. so the bucks got a good christmas game this year not the first one yeah and the big one was the number of the number of nationally televised games like 24 and that's not even counting the nba tv slate so yeah it, it is a way weird, up there weird weird world matt how about you um, well, I don't really have anything going on, so just make sure to follow my social media. You can find me at CallMeMatub, both on Twitter, if you are into Packers-based memes, and on Instagram, if you are into a really weak guy trying to lift, and pictures of my daughter. <laughs> and uh, Are we going to learn the Matub story? You know what? Should we should we set a date for that, like episode five, yeah. is where we get the Matub story? Sure, we'll do that. We'll do up, maybe when we kick <laughs> off like the the fantasy league, we can have that as the intro to it. So that's yeah. a good idea. We'll do that like in like that a week or two. I also thought we we're going to do that thing where we he describes a meme that that's going to be a recurring. <laughs> well, that'll come later. That'll <laughs> well, come. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw, but I went on an absolute meme tear the other day. Yeah, we'll, like I flooded my timeline, <laughs> so I can pick one of those. We'll, we'll save that. For, we'll save that one for a little bit later. Um, <laughs> My, my first uh, Shepherd Express column should be up tomorrow, um, just recounting the preseason game that happened and for all that you can learn from a preseason game, which is not much, but a little bit. Um, and you can learn that Lambeau Field needs a new horn, my God. <laughs> we should, oh, we have to, let's pencil that into the back half of this podcast because we should talk about the horn. I forgot about the horn. I'd put it out of my head. <laughs> but uh, let's, let's do that. Let's do that last. So, but first, before we, um, before we get to the horn, we're going to talk a little bit today about the running game and running backs specifically. Um, running backs are beloved by a lot of people. They are usually the dominant players in fantasy football, though getting less so. Um, and there is a big split between sort of modern football analysts and old school people as to the value of the running game. Um, modern, modern analysts kind of hate it to some extent, or at least discount its value a lot um, and put some context around it. Old school people really love the running game, so you have to establish the run, have to, you have to beat people up, get in the trenches um, to make the passing game work and to have a good offense. So um, I want to talk about that a little bit, what's true, what's not, and um, w- what the Packers should do running the ball and what they likely will do going forward. So before we get into all of the, any math that we get into or anything like that, I, I just want to start with asking my co-host here, and Jared, I'll start with you. Um, do you think the Packers uh, actually... Uh, should run the ball more. Um, there's a big criticism of them last year that they were too pa- too pass heavy, and I I, I just want to get opinions on if there's any validity to that. Yeah. So the simpleton in me says sure, and I think Mike McCarthy used to get ripped a lot for 
for saying um, some some version of the rhetoric of they, we, we just need to get attempts. It doesn't need to be big yardage. We just need attempts, attempts, attempts. And I think Roger, Aaron Rodgers may have said that as well. And, and the, the point being, it just has to be just used enough that somebody's going to sell out, that you can do play action, that you can, you know, just pull in somebody on that line and, and open up an option down the field. So I, I feel that that's probably true to a degree. And, and Aaron Jones is, you know, really good. And I, I know that running backs aren't, you know, aren't, as, aren't, they're overvalued still, even now, even though there's, there's plenty of evidence to suggest maybe they should not be valued as highly as they've been. <laughs> but, uh, but Aaron Jones is good and, and they didn't use him that much. He used the fewest attempts of, you know, any starter in the national football league last year. And he, you know, he's injured and, not injured, but like prone to injury. He, is, he, he does miss games fairly frequently, yeah. at least so far. So I get that. They're trying to keep him healthy. I, I get that too. Um, but yeah, like like off the top, it seems like sure they could they could stand to run the ball a little bit more. Oh, okay. I think I think all of that's totally fair, Matt. How about you? Uh, okay. I don't know. Let's see how I can put this exactly. Uh, I think that the correct amount of running plays were called. I think that they were checked out of. <laughs> more often than not. Uh, uh, so while I agree with the idea that attempts are good, um, I also think giving the ball to the most talented player at the time is good. And when you have a one-legged Aaron Rodgers, I think feeding your running back is not a bad idea. Um, I would be interested in seeing the new scheme kind of in action before I start making comments about the efficacy of the run game. Yeah. Um, in in a traditional West Coast offense, you could almost call something like the slant a uh, extension of the run game. And so, if they're throwing slants at Devonte, I'm fine with them not running. Like the, those kind of questions are for me need to be answered. But uh, a little more uh, traditional running between the tackles, I don't think would be detrimental. Okay, I, that was, that happened a lot last year where they were call fans were calling for the slant a lot, right? And it seems uh, like I agree with you. I think a lot of people agree with that. And it seems like that was the thing that everyone was really digging Aaron Rodgers for, like just throw a slant. <laughs> it's it's for you know, like it's of third and it's, two. Yeah. just throw a slant. Like Why it's is that, that easy. so hard? Yeah. Well, uh, to be fair to those people, um, they two years ago were like the best slant throwing team in the NFL, specifically to Devontae Adams. So I get why people want more of that. But yeah, I mean. It's, Teams know what you want to do too, so um, you know you, there's no magic formula to picking up a small number of yards. Although um, we'll, we'll get to that, but one of the areas running backs are valuable is in trying to pick up a small number of yards. So um, I, I would tend to be on the other extreme. Although I actually think last season's Packers probably didn't run enough, at least in the right situations. Um, part of why I think that is they should be good at play action. Aaron Rodgers is you know a good quarterback. Most Everybody else in the NFL is much better when they run play-action passing, when they fake a handoff and throw the ball. Aaron Rodgers wasn't. He was worse. Um, that's very unusual. And a lot of research um, by Ben Baldwin of The Athletic and others has shown that you don't need to establish the run or do much of anything to make play-action work. But I think opponents of the Packers didn't even bother. Like I think that they just didn't think they were going to run ever. I think it was um, so so skewed that they could actually just tell linebackers, like, just ignore play action. Like, seriously, if it's a running play, we'll deal with a six-yard Aaron Jones carry, and that's fine. Um, so I think a lot of that... <laughs> I, I mean, I, yeah, actually, we could deal with that. <laughs> basically, yes. Um, the, the, they, were a, they were a bizarre team last year. Um, Aaron Jones' yards per carry was almost equal to Aaron Rodgers' yards per attempt, which is insane and ridiculous. Um, so... 
for the most part, though, running is still hugely overvalued, um, and, and running backs especially so. Um, the reason for that is, like, o- offense is half the game. Quarterbacks are, like, 80% of offense, and the our offensive line is about 80% of running the ball, which is a slower part, a lower part of, you know, offense anyway. So when you're getting down to the running back level at running the ball, you're dealing with a very small portion of a very unimportant part of, of the game in general. Um, now, not that you should have bad running backs, and running backs can be valuable. They're, they're very useful in pass blocking. They're useful in the passing game as receivers out of the backfield. If you look at how the Patriots use guys, um, they will occasionally run into a team with a terrible run defense and just pound their whoever their power back is at the time. But they're just as likely to you know let James White and you know, Deion Sims and Rex Burkhead and whoever the receiving back is at the time catch 14, 15 passes in a game. So um, those guys can add a lot of value, but when we get down to like normal old school NFL running, it is something that fans like to cheer for, something that fantasy players like, but in the grand scheme of things, it does not add that much. Um, so, and just to set this up a little bit more, and we'll talk about the pack of running backs, but uh, I, during draft day for Acme Packing Company, I wrote a post um, covering the rest of the NFC North and specifically the Bears who... Uh, traded up in the third round to draft David Montgomery, um, a, a good college running back. Um, but the Bears, a very good team, have a lot of stars, but had a lot of running backs. Had Tariq Cohen and Jordan Howard and um, could use some extra depth on defense. And so giving up picks, and by the way, they only had five to start with to, to pick up an extra running back, very kind of questionable front office move. And they have a tendency to trade up to get guys who maybe aren't as good as some other people like Mitch Trubisky. Um, but <laughs> We're going to hit all of the, uh, you know, check every box on this yes. one. For some reason, some Bear fan with a decent following went and found that column and decided to make a bunch of Bear fans angry at me about it. Um, <laughs> specifically because David Montgomery had a good preseason game. He had three carries for 16 yards. He had three receptions for 30 yards, 24 of which came on a well-boxed screen pass. And everybody basically came and put um, cold takes exposed in my in my timeline and said, oh, do you want to reconsider this? So um, I just want David Montgomery might end up being a good running back. It's very, very possible. But I think yeah. David Montgomery is the definition of an old school running back because when you look at his athletic testing metrics, you're yep. like, this guy is not an amazing athlete. But people are like, the film, the film, the film. And it's like the film is all well and good. And, and we see these these highlights from training camp where people are half-heartedly trying to tackle him and he bowls over five guys. Yeah. But what happens when you get in a game and freaking BJ Raji could catch him from behind? <laughs> so um, we talked about Raz relative athletic score a bit last week. His is okay. It's about five point six seven if memory serves out of on a ten point scale, um, and he's not that fast in terms of breakaway speed. He's not faster than Jordan Howard, who the Bears got rid of. He's about the same speed. He is agile, but the big stat on him is he led college rushing in broken tackles two years in a row by a lot, by like forty broken tackles each season. And that might sound awesome, like that guy dominates at breaking tackles. That's great, and breaking tackles includes making guys miss, not just you know, powering out of a tackle. So it's not like he's getting beat up on every single one of those. But if you watch his tape and if you watch how he ran, he gets beat up a lot. Um, He runs to contact a lot. And that works great in college. And he is agile, but it doesn't work as well against NFL defensive players. It exposes you to a lot of punishment. And if you watch that game, he had some nice runs, but he powered out of a lot of tackles. And um, anyway, so as a prospect, he's very imperfect. He's not, I'm not saying he's bad. If Bear fans find this, I'm sure they'll yell at me again. But 
spending a, a good draft resource on a running back when you already had Tariq Cohen, who is a very good receiving running back and probably still the best running back on the Bears, is a questionable choice. So oh. uh, I, I pulled up David Montgomery's RAS, and uh, going purely by the combine, he was a four. Oh, so his pro day improved him quite a bit. His pro day improved him quite a bit. He lowered his 40 time, he increased his vertical, and he ran a cuckoo bananas three cone. Okay. Um, he ran a six nine three in the three cone. All right. Well, that's at at two hundred and twenty pounds. That's excellent. So you know that's something that's worth considering. So People to put have... on my my Ted Thompson hat, any player under a seven three cone is worth drafting. Yep. According to Ted Thompson, I think this really hit home for me when I was I think it was an SB Nation site that pointed out that on the Chargers, Austin Eckler, who is kind of a part time you know player, he's 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 fine, he's good, had a better DVOA at both passing and you know in pass catching and rushing than than Melvin Gordon. Yes. And that's like that floored me, and and I mean obviously it's see as with like Moneyball or anything else, it's not to say that those players are bad. It's not to say that Melvin Gordon is bad. The point is you just don't spend resources on running backs because as good as Melvin Gordon is, as much as he flashes, you can also find guys to have at least some sort of comparable ability off of you know you can invent them on a thin air practically. That's right, and that's kind of part one with running backs. Um, in addition to the role that they play, is they're kind of the second baseman of the NFL. Um, there are famously no second base prospects. There's only failed How short. How dare you? Except Ricky Weeks. Um, Keston here, I was well, thinking of. But. Actually, he is too. That's true. He can't really play anywhere else. We have- he cannot play anywhere yeah. else. Um, but um, aside from Keston and Ricky Weeks, um, there really are no people who go into being a second baseman. You kind of start as a shortstop or maybe a third baseman and you fail down for some reason. You're either not agile enough or your arm's not strong enough. That's the problem with Hira is he is a partially torn UCL. And yeah. The arm strength is an issue. Yes. So um, running backs are kind of like that. Most people who are a little taller, a little faster, a little you know shiftier or more athletic usually play a different position in football, partially because it's more lucrative, partially because it's less taxing on the body, um, and partially because it's just more valuable. Um, the, the scale of valuable positions starts at quarterback. Um, after that, it's some combination of cornerback, defensive end, slash linebacker edge, um, as we call them now. Left tackle, um, but running back is you know significantly down on the scale, and they get paid like it now. So they are easy to find, and um, a lot of studies have shown that you first round players at other positions are better, second round players, and third round players, and fourth round players. Running back much less so; it's much less linear. You can find good running backs late, and um, just to move on to uh, yeah, it's talking about the Packers and less about the Bears. Um, the Packers' starting and best running back um, is a fifth-round draft pick who has very good athleticism. And um, people may not know this, complaining about the Packer run game, but with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams, the Packers have actually had a top three run game by DVOA um, for the past three seasons. They're, wow. They're very effective at running the ball. Um, they don't maybe do it enough, but... Um, they they are good at it and have been good at it. And people keep clamoring for them to get Melvin Gordon or get whoever the hot free agent is. They really haven't needed it. They've been plenty good enough. Um, by the way, just we talk about we're going to talk about DVOA a lot on this podcast in general. Um, just in case people don't know what it is, it is a Football Outsiders metric. That's the <laughs> website. Um, it stands for defensive defense adjusted value over average. Um, and just to give you a kind of a brief like um, yeah, easy level. Um, version of what it is 
it kind of measures for running backs, especially their success rate, which means on any given play, did they increase the chances you're going to get a first down, and also how big of a play they put up regularly. So if they are have it, if they're converting like first downs regularly and busting off 20 yard runs with some regularity, they're going to have a really good DVOA. If they're fumbling, if they're getting stuffed a lot, they're going to have a much less good DVOA. Um, just as an, as an example, it punishes boom and bust running backs very harshly. Saquon Barkley, who obviously had great counting stats, was a great fantasy player last year, and I mean, frankly, looks like a really good player, wasn't actually that productive last year because of the amount that he got stuffed. Um, he had a lot of big plays, but he had a lot of plays where he put his team in a huge hole. Aaron Jones doesn't really do that with the Packers. He gets stuffed very infrequently, and he has a lot of big plays as well. Um, so uh, the Packers found talent in the back end of the draft that is the equivalent of most star running backs, and they have done so with some regularity. Um, I think they may have done so again this year. Dexter Williams, who they drafted in the sixth round out of Notre Dame, um, his combine scores are very, very similar to Aaron Jones. There's a site called Mock Draftables, which is, I will say, a little silly. It's not as good as Raz. It puts all their closest comparable players up there. Aaron Jones is his second most comparable player. The Packers have a type. Um, so going on in the third round for a running back, or, you know, third round's not too bad, but trading up to get one kind of is. First round is ridiculous. There's, there's no evidence that those guys are better at all. Um, so anyway, when I look at a front office, it's one of the ways I judge them. Did you pick running backs high? If you did, you may have some issues. <laughs> Do you think, um, not to get too far off of the NFL or the Packers, but since we're talking Badgers with Melvin Gordon, oh, yeah. and heck, Corey Clement, a good example of a guy who can catch passes who was not even drafted, but uh, do you think Jonathan Taylor will still go in the first round next year? I don't. No? Well, you know what? I always say that. I shouldn't, because he... Uh, I'm still going to go no. Here's why. Because um, the NFL's figured this out. Because he played for Wisconsin. Well, no. The, <laughs> the, the NFL's <laughs> figured it out, but um, the, not all, not everybody's figured it out. Like, running backs still go hot, super high, and Jonathan Taylor is amazing. So somebody still might reach up and grab him there. I don't... I'll be I'll be interested to see what he does combine-wise, because I know he was, like, a, a flat-out freak athlete, um, and is a flat-out freak athlete. Yeah, he's got all of it. He's yeah. got the measurables, the tape, he's got everything. But uh, I do know, I, uh, so, um, a couple of real, real quick, fun Jonathan Taylor stats, if I if I may, um, since I was looking into I this. I think that's what I was looking I, for, I was Paul. hoping so, I was hoping <laughs> so. So, um, Andy, Andy Schaff, a.k.a. Schaff on Twitter, um, you should follow him, he does a Badger newsletter. He's a hero. He is a hero, um... I was tweeting out random running back stats, and he, he put these in my ear. So um, one of the things that – one of the good ways to measure NFL running backs is the amount that they convert first downs. Um, and it's unclear if this is a skill or not because it's very situational dependent. But going back to Saquon Barkley, he converted a first down on 13% of his carries. That's first, second, third down, fourth down. You know, that includes fourth and ones, third and ones, and also first and tens. 13% across all plays. Jonathan Taylor last year for Wisconsin – converted a first down on 19% of his first down carries, which are mostly first and tens, which, which is completely ridiculous. So, I mean, I, I almost can't believe that. That's incredible. And he's obviously so, super awesome. However... I, I'm going to invent a running back statistic right now. Yeah. Okay. That's just You just gave me a great idea. All right. A running back statistic that tracks the percentage of a first down from every run and creates the average. So if if it's, let's say it's third and two, and they run for five yards, that would be uh, well, like 205% of a yeah, yeah. whatever. 
And so average that out. Oh, okay. And then you could say what whatever the <laughs> whatever the average of a first this time is. Like is. slugging percentage. So we, we do kind of have that with EPA. Okay. Um, and the only problem with doing running backs by EPA is that they produce so little of it that it's hard to make big distinguishing jumps between them. But uh, th- that's two in the weeds. We'll talk about that later. But that stat actually does kind of exist, and it is kind of interesting to look at. And it really helps you like track like how much the offensive line is um, responsible versus running back too. Um, <laughs> but on Jonathan Taylor, I'm going first round. The other the problem with him, and I'm I'm gonna not remember the stat quite right, but. I believe on third down, he's never caught a pass, and he's only had 25 carries. So it'd be nice to see him more involved in that part of the game, because that's a big part of the game at the pro level. That might not be quite right, but that's the gist. Um, He's not really participating in the, you know the we must pass part of the game i bet you he will this year they're gonna work that skill man they're gonna they're gonna make him nfl as nfl ready as he can be they really should they do a disservice when they don't do that so i I remember like um well james white got into the passing game a lot at school he was kind of the one exception but um lonnie ball never did and well and melvin gordon's actually a really good receiver um his receiving dvo is always super high and he actually catches quite a few passes and is very effective with them so, like, that was a weapon that was there for them. Well, so talk about Tex Western from Acme Packing Company. That dude was banging the drum for Melvin Gordon's receiving ability. He's like, they just didn't use him. I swear he's good. He was right. Yeah, he, he was totally right. I feel for guys like Melvin Gordon because they know, because, you know, who hold out looking. I mean, they know that they, their shelf life is really low, you know, relative to other positions of the NFL. And they know that they're getting valued less and less. And they got to strike while the iron is hot. And. It's just it's a it's a bummer of a situation. I mean, they they do get worn into the ground and they do yeah. not get rewarded for it anymore. It is actually super unfair. And running backs are ex- hit extra hard by the rookie cap because their primes are shorter and they can play at the pro level before other people can. Well, that's like, why. Like shout outs to Herschel Walker for leaving college as a sophomore to get what at the time was the most lucrative contract of a professional football player, and then to go on to play for like a bajillion years. But I I honestly think that. If you're a running back, you should think about just minimizing your tread wear. I, that's almost certainly true. So um, it, it's it's really a tough spot for them, um, and I don't really know that there's a good solution for from the running back perspective, other than to just make yourself like the best pass catcher you can be. Um, to the extent that guys are going to get paid, I'll be interested to see what, what Kamara gets when he um, becomes a free agent. <laughs> Um, and like a truly dangerous receiver. I kind of thought Gurley might be that guy, but he's got that knee injury, and um, he does really seem to be more of a product of the system than a lot of other guys are. Um, but uh, I think if you can be that that sort of total package with the emphasis on the passing game, that might be where you can still make some some bank. But if you're an old old school power back, I mean, that's just rough. However, Old school powerbacks can actually be valuable. And that's one of the, the weird things about what we've found is the place where running backs can really make bank is in the red zone. Um, as the play moves closer to the end zone, the field compresses. Running uh, running efficiency actually does overtake passing efficiency as you get closer and closer and closer. And having a guy that can power into the end zone is valuable. So um, the only problem is proving that that's actually a skill that guys have. It. I don't think it's not. Like I remember watching Marcus Allen when I was growing up, who not a big power back, but he seemed to be able to just slither through little tiny holes and get in everywhere every time. So I think there's a way to do that and maybe sell yourself on that. I think the Patriots find guys that actually are good at that and not much else and don't pay them enough. But <laughs> um, 
so th- there are a few skills where running backs are better than passing. It's just a matter of using them correctly. So, I don't know. We should... Well, I mean, if you look at a guy like uh, Le'Veon Bell, who during his best season, his sophomore season, he had uh, 1,300-something yards rushing, but he had over 800 yards receiving. So when you look at a guy who can split out wide like that, and and it's, once again, I talk about using short passing as an extension of the run game. If you have a back who can split out into the um, into the slot or split out wide and be a threat in the short passing game, just get him into space, it, I would consider that part of the run game. Like, that's, to me, that's that's like running a sweep or throwing to the running back in the flat might as well be the same thing. Yeah, I mean, if it's run correctly and, you know, blocked nicely, I, I totally agree with that. The whole point is to get a, a a low risk, you know, small to medium amount of yards. And if you can do that through the passing game, it's really not that much different. So, um, and we're going to see more running this year for sure. That is one thing that we can be absolutely certain of. Lafleur um, is already shown, I think, that propensity. And it, it'll be interesting to see how Rodgers takes to it. But this is going to be a year where running backs are used. I mean, we, we also saw Hackett run a ground-and-pound offense yep. to hide Blake Bortles, so I, I don't know how much of that is going to make its way to Green Bay. I know, but... I know. Yeah, Leonard Fournette was going to be the next big running back, wasn't he? The big, uh, <laughs> big top draft pick. Well, uh, yeah, and David Montgomery, we'll be keeping an eye on him because, you know, Bears fans will uh, will certainly be keeping an eye on you. Of with course. Every, with every good game, every big run, David Montgomery breaks. I will hear about every single one. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the preseason game that happened because we had an actual football game that was played and actual football things happened in it. Um, well, yeah, air quotes, football. <laughs> <laughs> it is a glorified practice. No one should take anything away from anything that happened in it. Um, it's okay to look at the fringe guys, but it really is going through the motions a bit. But at, uh, So um, I'll, I'll go first. and I, can, I, I did, and I think a lot of people, I liked what Ty Summers did a lot, um, especially in the first half. And... Um, I, if so I, I will confess, I did not know much about Ty Summers before that game. He seemed to be all over the field. He seemed to be much better than everybody else was on the field. His, 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 his RAS is, I think 9.9. Oh my God. Yeah. So that total prototypical Packer, like late round, well, this guy's amazing. Let's see if he can, we can do something with him. Um, and he looked great. And the other thing that happened in that game that might give him some opportunity is that Oren Burks got hurt. And mm-hmm. they happened to, they're both inside linebackers. Burks is probably going to miss the season with a torn pectoral muscle. Um, so that's a guy that I think was actually worth watching who might end up playing on Sundays later on. Um, anybody else have any favorites from that game? Well, Matt looks it up online to confirm. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, Yes, I did find he had a he had a 9-9. Rashawn Gary had a 9-9-2, yeah. which is... Wow. It's what they do. They, they just pluck guys from that. Yeah, so that Ty pool. Summers had the, the highest RAS of his um, of the linebackers in the entire draft. Yep. So, I mean, there's a reason those guys fall, but it's something to work with that, you know, a lot of late-round picks don't have. Mm-hmm. So I, I didn't come out necessarily impressed, but confused confused by something and this is this is everything okay over there? <laughs> oh, sorry. My wife is getting... Uh, something from the fridge <laughs> <laughs> it happens uh 
you know, Deshaun Kaiser got some credit for his play. I didn't particularly necessarily think it was warranted. He made like one and a half really good throws. I think and that's about right. His numbers were much better than yeah. his play. And I mean, the touchdown he threw was that was the receiver making an incredible play. That, that was play. a terrible throw that yeah. Darius Shepard, like. I mean, Darius Shepard could have died. He could have died. And I, I guess, like, the question is this is not a question that is probably, I'm sure there's an answer to this. Why don't they just go out and get somebody else? Why don't they get a veteran? You know, like somebody who's. They're going to sit the pine anyway, unless worst case scenario happens, which it could happen. But like, it's so clear to me that, and, and maybe maybe I'm wrong. It's so clear to me that Sean Kaiser is not going to lose. So no, you're, 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 you want them to sign? Right. You want them to sign Seneca Wallace? I mean, so I, yes. I don't think that's quite fair because <laughs> Seneca Wallace, when they brought him back, hadn't really played in a while, had he? He was just kind of a like okay. He'd been, he'd been a pine rider for like five years. Eddie, all right. Well. I just don't. Fair I enough. just don't get why not. Like at this point, they've tried the the sort of protege thing with Brett Hundley, and it didn't work. And they, you know, Tim Boyle is fine. Like I get that they're that they're not going to invest a lot in the third quarterback. I understand that completely. But I just there's a lot of quarterbacks out there who could at least hold things together, Matt Flynn style, for a couple games. And it just doesn't. It seems like they're just so enamored with the boom potential, and it's it's. But not there's happening. no boom potential here. Well, that, that's I, I mean, yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying too. Like, <laughs> what, what are you seeing? What are, what are they seeing? Yeah, I'm okay with the plan of like, have, like if you want to draft like a late round quarterback and see if there's something there. I don't have any problem with that, but you should be willing to cut bait pretty quickly. Like, um, that's fair. The, I mean, I guess we could go back. I remember there was a whole bunch of stink once uh, Josh Rosen was on the trading block that I would have totally been okay with Josh Rosen being traded for as the backup. Yep, I'd have been fine with that. He has more potential than anybody else on the roster does. So, yeah, I'm down with that completely. I, and I, I agree with your assessment. You're not off. Like, Kaiser's bad. We've seen plenty of Kaiser at this point. Yeah, if you want to blame the Browns for just being the Browns before they got good, but they're good now, by the way. Um, that's fine. They threw him to the Wolves a little bit, but most quarterbacks, uh, he was a second round pick. He was a second round pick, right? Um, I don't actually know. Was he first? He, he was no later than second round pick. I think he was second round. Anyway, um, like, if you are going to be good, you usually show something in your first season, kind of no matter where you are. Like, even when Peyton Manning was getting his brains beaten in his first year, you could tell he was good. Like, they were awful, but, uh, like, Kaiser is just not going to be anything, and I actually think he's not going to beat up Boyle. And also, Boyle is bad too. Just that, don't take that as an endorsement of like Tim Boyle's good. He's not, um, but like at least he's got a big arm, and at least he stands there and throws it where he's supposed to. And like that, honestly, the 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 Lafleur offense is, I think, pretty well suited to what Boyle can do, which is run the ball a few times, do a play action action fake, and then gun it to somebody, um, like. He, I like how they were bad in such creative ways too. That like played to their talents, like with Boyle just gunning it to everybody when rainbows and you know Duncan and would have been the appropriate thing to do. But they they really <laughs> should get somebody else. Um, just see, seeing it's kind of infuriating. <laughs> well, I mean that's that's a lot better than having uh, friggin' donut back there thinking he can beat everyone with his feet. Yeah. <laughs> True enough. I mean, if Rodgers gets hurt, the season's probably done anyway, which is probably half of what their thought process is. But there's no reason to just punt on it at this point. So you, you think that Kaiser should be on this team? No, I don't. I, oh, okay. I, I think someone else should be on this team. Okay. Well, I that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I agree with you. I completely agree with you. Okay. And it's such a minimal cost. Like backup, Some backup quarterbacks make money. I don't want that. But you can get... You can do better for slightly more. Like that's not a problem. Yeah. So back to the original question. I mean, Darius Shepard had a nice game. I, you know, it's hard to really know where he would fit at all. Like, you know, any anybody that far down the depth chart. But 
He didn't hurt his cause, that's for sure. Yeah, totally. Uh, and then you can also look at the Kumaro hype. Definitely got some coal to the fire there with, with <laughs> was it two <laughs> contested catches? Uh, yeah, he played really well. So I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, like, Jay Kumaro's fine. Um, and he, he did play well and did himself some favors, so that, that's good. I, I like Derry Shepard a little bit better. But, yeah, that hype train picked up. I sighed because I was listening to bad sports radio this morning, which I shouldn't do because it just makes me mad. And they were talking about Jay Kumaro and Tony Brown together and how, um, like, Kumaro is now, like, a favorite of everybody and Tony Brown's not. And Tony Brown is way, way better than Jay Kumaro, in my opinion. So it made me mad. But not Brown didn't have that good a game, but he's super talented. And I think if he gets himself together off the field-wise, he'll be really good. Um but I think Jerry, Jerry Shepard actually might squeak his way on. He's the, kind of the only slot receiver on the roster, like just prototypical-wise. Like Allison's taking all the snaps there, but he's, you know, kind of more of a big outside guy. Like the, the closest thing to like a Randall Cobb type is Shepard, and he really looked the part. So, and he, he has special teams value too. And if you want a, like a sneaky, like something that might happen, I would be a little scared if I were Trevor Davis now when I wasn't before because it was always his ace in the hole that he's your return man and he can always contribute there. But there might be somebody else now who can do that and add value on offense. I I left him speechless. It's amazing we haven't hit a lull yet in a podcast and a half. I just, I just, my favorite thing about like Paul can go on this amazing diatribe and then end it with just like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so there was football. I don't know if it was good. Are we going to talk about the horn? Is that uh, yeah? Let's that talk about well. the horn real quick. So hey. it, it, it it was kind of like what like base World Cup Vuvuzela. Like, it was definitely in the Vuvuzela, like category. a giant Vuvuzela kind if, of. If the Vikings horn and a Vuvuzela had a child, <laughs> yeah. oh, what an annoying so child! Before, that would be. yeah, before we get it, nobody liked it, right? I, I joked about liking it, but I didn't actually like it. <laughs> no, it was it was awful. Okay, good. Um, glad we're on the same page there. I I actually dislike it for just being annoying and also for i like it I, I dislike any stadium attempt to get the crowd to cheer at times when people shouldn't be cheering and yeah. i think that is just a way to try and get people to like cheer louder over the noise that's existing since it's they're down and not like that all bothers me like it makes people cheer at the wrong time and then the crowd is quiet when they're supposed to be loud and like especially at lambo that happens all the time I, well so i went to a game during the Get loud, Lambo uh, era. Th- let's call it the G Force era, because that's what it was. No, so I'm talking just a couple years ago. Not the the G Force era was long ago, but like when they did the the Get Loud Lambo, um, they only played that on third down. Like it's third uh, down, yeah. get up on your feet. Like, <laughs> and I, I kind of like that. It was, it was. I, I'm a very anti gold package person. That's it's kind of my brand at this point. That I, I think if if it's third down. I'm going to get up and scream, and if some boomer tells me to sit down, I'm going to tell him to shove it. I kind of wonder, I'm sure Matt LaFleur understands the the green and gold packages, and but this is so unique, the fan base here, with these two games and, and one preseason game a year with the Milwaukee fan base. And I think I think we kind of can all agree that the gold package fans are, you know, they're driving two hours, they're likelier to leave early. They're maybe not as as die hard as the Green Bay fans. I mean, I love my Milwaukee people, but like <laughs> there is a difference. And so I I didn't like the horn for sort of the you know, sort of the int- intimation that the, P- the Packers fans are good enough, that they're not yeah. cheering at the right times. And and again, I promise I'm not going to talk about baseball all the time. On, actually, no, you know should. what? I'm going to. You I'm going to talk about here. baseball all the time. I'll talk about baseball. Those yellow towels that they busted out during 
um, during the playoffs. Oh, yeah. Major miscalculation because yep. everybody put their energy into that. They did. And and that caused the stadium. And, and Dodgers writers were getting roasted for, for pointing this out, saying, oh, it's kind of like a mausoleum in Miller Park. They And it, it wasn't a mausoleum. But they were not wrong. It was not a playoff atmosphere. You weren't getting that roar, that like wave you get during major, major games because everybody's putting their energy into firing those towels. And it's just a miscalculation. You got to let the fans actually identify the big moments and, and respond to them. And the more that we sort of handhold is the more, the more backfires you get people. You, you do not get that energy because you're only, you become trained to respond to what the scoreboard yep, is telling it you. It absolutely happens. I, when uh, the Bucks were in their, their earlier glory days with Glenn Robinson, and Ray Allen, um, they had the bark board and <laughs> the bark board would come up as we were coming back from commercial and tell people to cheer and they would cheer and cheer and cheer to get the meter to go louder. And then the action would start and it would go away and everybody would stop. And it was just dead silent for the game coming back. And just, they did it forever. They might still do it for all I know. Um, I don't think they do, but I think they've gotten smarter since then, but it was ridiculous. It did the exact opposite of what they wanted it to do. And like fans know how to cheer for the actual action on the field. Right. They get, you just generate this fatigue and you have to you have to accept to some degree that there are going to be times the fans aren't into it. You know, when when you're down three touchdowns, and yeah, it would be nice if everybody got on their feet for the last drive of the first half and got everybody, you know, like back into it. But the fact is, you've you've siphoned out their life a little bit. And if you if you start <laughs> turning to the scoreboard and letting that you know dictate what the fans should do, I just there's this unintended consequence where where fans start to rely on it and and they don't. Like I said, you got to sort of organically let them identify yeah. when to be into it. Because that's when you're going to get the biggest payoff. It's also too much like the Vikings. Like, it just is. Oh, yeah, for sure. Which is... I, I also think you guys are giving Packer fans maybe a little bit more credit that they can learn what they're supposed to do at what time. <laughs> well, especially your, your gold package friends. <laughs> the the power sweep of uh, <laughs> uh, uh, fellow Packers blog. Our, our competitors. John Muir our, and, our, and Gary. Our, they found this, this clip of Tim Harris upset that people were doing the wave while the offense was on the field. Yeah, good for Tim. <laughs> like like I, okay i part i will admit i i once participated in a wave it was christmas eve 2016 um i was cold it was a blowout the packers were just spanking the vikings and i was inebriated and so i was like yeah let's do the wave this is a great idea but looking back on it i i, I regret it <laughs> as long as long as you regret it, that's all that matters. I am in the camp of not caring that much about the yeah. wave. I would not participate, but it's just let fans fan. And if you if you let them fan, they'll figure it out eventually. You know, the default position, I know it strays. I know that you get the wave and you get things where people are not paying attention, but the default position is to really want your team to win. So if they if you give them an opportunity and not hold their hand, they're going to be into it when they need to be. I don't know. I don't know why I feel so strongly about this. <laughs> I do. <laughs> It's it's annoying. I don't. I like going to games, but I do not like anything that happens during a break. It it drives me. I'm 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 weird too. I I know that. I'm, uh, I hate the wave. I hate all that stuff. But I don't know. I would just rather have the game on. Um, they should just play the announcer over the loudspeaker. <laughs> um, anyway, um, let's. We're, we're getting down to the end. Let's briefly talk about the defense because we talked offense a lot last week, and then we'll take our uh, one question, and then I think wrap this puppy up. So. Um, so last year, the defense was terrible, and um, people might forget that Dom Kippers was not actually the defensive coordinator last year. Um, Mike Patton actually was. So Kippers got fired as the coach for running a bad scheme. Um, a new coach came in with the same players, and yes, there were a lot of injuries, as there often are, 
but they were still terrible. Um, so they have better players this year. Um, Elliot, I assume we all agree they have better players this year. But well, they have more Petten players. They have more Petten players. I think they also have just objectively better but players. Do but, they have? Do they have Petten's cornerstone? His uh, his what? What is the term from uh, uh, cr- low crossers? Low crossers. Uh, I don't know no the Revis. What you're talking? About. Oh, his 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 bitch so, kitty pass rusher. His bitch kitty pass rusher. <laughs> that is it. Okay, so um, just just so if everybody just re- quick recommendation for Packer fans, if you need a good book to read, um, there is a I forget who wrote it. I feel bad about that, but there's a good book called Collision Low Crossers, which is a thank you, Jer, which which is about the New York Jets um, from the heyday of the Rex Ryan defenses. Um, one of the major characters in the book is Mike Patton, who was heavily involved in actually coordinating the defense, um, doing all the grunt work. You learn a lot of weird stuff about Mike Patton's life in it. Um, uh, well, just if people don't know, it's in the book. Um, to get into football, Mike Patton became a low-paid video analyst for, I believe, the Ravens, and secretly borrowed against his 401k without telling his wife to fund it. Um, and wound up getting divorced as a result of that decision. It's <laughs> incredible. Yeah. So um, he's he's heavily like he is heavily featured in that book along with Darrell Revis and Muhammad Wilkerson and you know all the big Jet players from the day. And it, it just goes into his kind of day to day life. And it's an interesting contrast contrast with Rex Ryan, who I don't know if calling him the brains of the operation is quite right, but it does make him out to be somewhat of a savant, kind of like Bill Belichick is a little bit, where he can kind of just tell where people are supposed to go and what's going to work. Whereas Penton's a total grinder. Like, he is, he, like, Ryan does not come by it honestly. He's kind of blessed with the ability to coordinate defenses. Penton is watching film. He's the guy doing 20 hours a day in front of TVs and drawing stuff up and testing it. So it's they're very different personalities, and it's a very interesting look into the now Green Bay defensive coordinator. Hmm. Um, so it, it also, I think puts a little bit of question into, you know, just how responsible he was for that defense. Now he was the Browns head coach for a while and, uh, you know, for having coached the Browns, those defenses were good. Um, they, they, they really were. For, they were, I think his worst, de- uh, defensive DVOA finish was like sixth. Yeah. So, um, there's some, there's obviously some success, success there outside of Rex Ryan, but, um, he, you know, he, he came in here. It was a rough situation. They were bad. Do you guys, how worried are you that um, he's not going to be able to turn it around? And how good do you think they can be this year? Um, t- do you think they're top 10, top 15, still in the bottom half? Um, hey, Matt, you go first this time. Jared went first. Okay, I think, I think the Packers defense this year, barring, um, uh, like, if, if we can have two starting caliber corners at any given time, I think the defense will be above average. I'm not going to say top five or anything like that, but I think, I think the upper half of the league is entirely plausible as long as there are two real corners playing on the outside. I, th- I mean, I think that's right. I but the Kevin King situation then makes me nervous. Yeah, same here. Uh, you know, I'm willing to give him a you give him a year for sure, and then you, know, you can give him two years if it's if it's an injury thing. But like now he's running, you know, hobbling into camp, and it's like, when is he going to be healthy? You start to wonder if maybe that's just not going to be in the cards for him. Yeah, and I agree with both of that those things. So Penton defense is usually good with two two good to great corners, and especially with you know a Revis comparable person on one side. Not so good when that breaks down. And I I, I am a little alarmed by their lack of depth at that position as well, especially with Kevin King already being Kevin King and missing time in, in preseason. So I do like Tony Brown, but, you know, still UDFA, still super raw, made a lot of dumb plays last year. But that's, like, who you're going to um, if King's not there. And, I mean, that's risky. So 
Nicholas, I, I, was, I think it's Davidoff. It's a it's a D A W I D O F F. It He's sounds the guy like who wrote Davidoff. Let's go with Davidoff. Yeah, yeah. It, it could be Davidoff, yeah. but let's say it's Davidoff. And by the way, yes, Deshaun Kaiser's second round pick. So All right. Just the the fact checking portion of the program <laughs> in real time. <laughs> I thought it was Deshaun. Is it Deshaun? What do I say, Deshaun? I say Deshaun, but maybe it's Deshaun. It's spelled. Deshaun. I'm pretty sure it's Deshaun Kaiser. Yeah, shoot. I mean, it's certainly spelled like Deshaun. So. All right. Well, we'll look that. Well, it's hard to look up how to pronounce. Well, just like MVS gets mad at the way people say his name. Yeah. How are people saying it it incorrectly? If people say Marquez, we'll get it. Yeah. It is Marquez. Oh. Is it? Oh. All right. Well, we'll get this sorted, and we'll say we'll say his name correctly, and as long as he's still a Packer, so um, (laughs) that might only might only be another week and a half. So, um, hold on. Let's see if we can we can do this in real time here. Oh, jeez. I don't know if this is gonna work. It's a pretty rough basement for uh, streaming Deshaun audio. Kaiser. Deshaun is. Deshaun. A- is it Deshaun? I don't well, know. Listen, listen. I'm trusting YouTube, but somebody, somebody <laughs> wrote this down. Somebody, somebody said this out loud. So. Okay. Deshaun. <laughs> okay. Well, you know this what? This is my anyway, important contribution. It's it's any one week. Um, is Justice Mosqueda, who is is Kaiser's number one fan. Thought that he was the best quarterback in that draft. Oh, justice. Stand him all throughout his time in Cleveland and to this day admits that he is probably wrong, but just talks about his love for Kaiser. <laughs> so we should ask Justice how to properly pronounce his first name. I did find a second source that's on Deshaun, so but but I all would right. trust Justice over all things in this case. <laughs> yes. That's that's the sound bite right there. I would trust Justice <laughs> over all things. <laughs> yes. If we ever have him on, we'll put that on the lead. Um all right, but I, I I think they'll be like a, a 15th defense or so. Like, I think they'll be better, but I, I, I have too many worries about the corners and just making that work after one more year. That feels really pessimistic only because it feels like the defense is going to be way ahead of the offense to start with. And I if guess so. Only 15th. Ugh. So I was... I would be maybe more more optimistic, except I still think they might be the worst defense in the division. Like, it. They're certainly no better than than third. They're not going to be better than the Vikings or the Bears are on defense. And yeah, the Lions are not great shakes, but they've made some improvements too. So I could even see that happening. And if they're not going to be, you know, not last in the division, it's hard for me to say they're going to be definitively above average in the NFL. Hmm. Yeah, that's I'm fair. Um, I think I think comparing them to the Lions, the Lions are are deceptively. Uh, okay, I think they're in a similar situation to the Packers where they are one or two injuries away from being bad. Yeah, that's fair. I and agree so with that. I think the, the Packers and the Lions are going to be fighting for third place based on health. Yeah, I mean, that's often what it comes down to. So, ah, all right. Should we should we take our one question and then wrap well, this we, up? We here? had another question, but none of us knew how to answer it. Yeah, well, should we? Oh, we, we got a little bit of, of intel on that. All right. You want to start with that one? Yeah, let's start with that one. Okay. It's more of a functional thing. All right. That, so Robert Kim asks, which bubble players who are not rookies still have practice squad eligibility and cites Jamon Moore and Fidel Brown specifically? Yeah. And so there, there isn't a fixed number of players you can have on the practice squad that are that have two or fewer years of accrued service time. So that would certainly fit Jamon Moore. Or, or any player who is not who has not yet played two full seasons in the NFL and accrued service time, it's you know there's a there's a bunch of definitions that, that are in play there. It's uh, you've got to be it could be either nine games suiting up, six games actually getting into action, um, or maybe that's yeah I'm getting them I all think crossed it was, up. Wasn't nine games on the roster, six games suiting up for game day? It, 
I've, no, I don't think so. Uh, but but right. you, you, this, <laughs> but being on the practice squad for six games also means that you've been on the practice squad for a year. You can only do that for two years. Yeah. So uh, so yeah, it, they could they could definitely put a guy like Jamon Moore. I don't do. Do you think a guy like Jamon Moore would? I'm not sure. Jamon Moore through waivers. Uh, he's uh, maybe not, but he, man, he's been rough. Um, yeah, I, I, I hold on. He actually might slide through waivers. Like I. He doesn't even look like a project worth keeping to me right now. Wow! Like uh, I would have liked to have seen his hands improve drastically from last year. Like Devontae Adams had the drops problems when he came up, and he got better and he got better and he got better. And Moore looks just terrible out there catching the ball. Even the touchdown he caught, he almost dropped. Like um, I, I don't know, that, that guy's a mess. I I, <laughs> I I just I enjoyed his touchdown catch. Like there were a ton of people on Twitter harping him for his drops. And then his touchdown cast suddenly absolved him. Like, no, it didn't. It was a one-yard <laughs> touchdown cast. And he bobbled it. Like he's <laughs> And he didn't do a Lambo leap. He just dunked he dunked it down. He dunked it. He spiked it. And, uh, and that was it. That was that. So uh, I mean, I think you can sneak him through the practice squad. I'm not sure you want to sneak him through the practice squad. Like if they're gonna have a roster crunch and need to fit Shepard somewhere, I'd much rather have him on the practice squad. So um I well, but yes, he, he, he is eligible. <laughs> he can be on somebody's. Um, all right, last question uh, is from Archon14. Um, and what personnel packages do you think Matt LaFleur ultimately uses the most? A lot of talk about Green Bay's reliance on 11 traditionally, but there's been a lot of love for Vital so far. By the way, the Packers signed a free agent fullback today named Tom Bohannon because their fullback situation is dire because of injuries. Which should tell you a lot about Matt Lafleur and what he likes personnel-wise. Um, uh, nobody would have bothered with that before, but now we have three, and where we—it's ridiculous. So, uh, um, are you saying Aaron Rupkowski would still be a Packer? He would. He absolutely would. Maybe he will be later. Who knows? Yeah, that's actually a good point. So uh, the answer I think to this is uh, he, he, there's two schools of thought on this, but one of them is wrong, which is Sean McVay always runs eleven personnel all the time. And people seem to think that Lafleur is a disciple of him, but he's really not. Um, he's more of Kyle Shanahan. So, um, Kyle Shanahan last year ran eleven personnel eleven percent of the time. I think it's eleven, eleven or fourteen. I'm getting my low numbers mixed up today, but a very small amount of the time. Much prefers um, two running back, one tight end sets, or one running back, two tight end, uh, one running back, two tight end sets. That's either twenty-one or twelve personnel. And I'm guessing you'll see a lot of that for the Packers this year. Um, I, if I had to wager, I'd say you'd probably have kind of an even split of 11, 12, and 21. Um, like 30, 30, 30 something. But Matt, what do you got to say? Um, that's, that's actually exactly what I was going right. to say. You, you know took, we're all in lockstep here. That's yeah. fantastic. But well, yeah, the, um, the, the Sean McVay comparison, I think, is was a little um, premature. And, and looking at Shanahan's tendencies tends to be where I would lean towards. And his God, the the use of Danny in uh, training camp was just beautiful, and to hear that he got injured makes me so sad because a, a fullback like that, I think, can really open up your <laughs> offense. If you look at his college stats, he had like five carries. Yep, he was a receiver. <laughs> he was a receiver. He was this. They called him the super back. He was yeah. like a H back, whatever. And he's I mean, got a, he's he's a crazy Raz guy too, right? He's like nine five. Yeah, he's um he's actually literally Luke Keekley. Oh, okay, cool. Um so I know we mentioned the mock draftable spider charts before. Um if you overlay Danny and Luke and Keekley, Luke Keekley they're the same. They are it's like 98 something percent. Like 98.5%. Nice. 
Can they try Vital at linebacker? I mean, that should work, right? Yeah, that's just yeah. You could just totally plug guys in like that. Well, hey, that's <laughs> yes. exactly that's exactly what Devin White is. He's been a linebacker for one year. He was a running back. By the way, um, just in case, just just quick like fun fact. In case you're listening to this, and when people say eleven personnel, you don't know what that means because I didn't, so I went and looked it up, and it's fascinating because there are five eligible receivers on every play. And um, the way that that numbering system works is um, you describe the number of running backs and tight ends, and then you assume the receivers. So it's one of t- one running back for 11, one tight end for, um, for 11, and then five minus whatever the other two numbers are for, the, for whatever's left for receiver. So um, I don't know how that developed. I'd like to look into that sometime. But this is, this is a very like Brett Favre discussion. You'd be like, you'd be like, yeah, they were calling twenty-two well, Texas. I was like, why do they call this play Texas? I'm around all these football people all the time, and they're always just dropping like, oh, this is this is eleven, this is twenty-one. I'm like, I I understand what these mean, but I don't understand at all why it's called those things. So I finally went and looked, and that's why. So anyway, well, that is just lovely. Yeah, um, but um, that is our, oh. Quick follow-up to that question was, does that affect like how many receivers they keep on the year if they're going to run less 11? And I don't really think so. I think they'll keep six. Um, I'd be surprised if they keep less than six um, just because they still have Aaron Rodgers and should pass the ball a lot. But I could be wrong. So you think Kumaro makes this team? Um, uh, I, I, I mean, what happens when he doesn't make this team? Does Green Bay just immediately start on fire? I just assume that he opens up a tire shop somewhere in middle America. <laughs> <laughs> no, the guy that you're referencing was a good athlete. Uh-huh. Um, well, maybe he'll open one in Whitewater. So. Speaking of Jay Kumaro at Whitewater, I had a uh, there's a teammate of his on two of those Stag Bowl championship teams. The kicker Lake uh, Lake Bakker is his name. This is a plug. I'm I'm plug. We're getting to the, the conversation. Plug plugging Lake Bakker uh, was also a pitcher on the Whitewater f- baseball team. He was drafted by the Padres in the fifth round. He's now at Double A. Uh, he is at in he is with the Amarillo Sod Poodles. Ah, nice. <laughs> which is another name for a prairie dog. Uh, <laughs> Sod Poodles. Uh, but his fa- his father has cancer and and is, has terminal cancer. When they're doing a massive fundraiser for him Saturday night, where they they have like jerseys, Bakker strong jerseys, and they're they're going to be doing a big auction, and the Padres are really involved. It's cool. Anyway, I wrote about that today at jsonline.com. Uh, he didn't. Uh, he he said he wasn't buddies necessarily with with Kumaro, but like obviously he was teammates with him, and is really excited yep. that he's doing well. So uh, so there was a. A, a little bit of a connection there to uh, to what I was writing about earlier today. All right, again, well, baseball, baseball, good baseball. Uh, okay, so Jr. The, my closest uh, g- uh, brush with baseball was uh, the last couple years when everyone in Brewers Twitter was cursing the city I live in. Oh, oh yeah, because you live in Colorado Springs, so you're. Oh, you're- that's right. <laughs> that is a bad place. It it ruined the franchise or ruined the the major minor league pipeline. Uh, yeah. So I learned all about pitchers and the Bernoulli effect and <laughs> Bernoulli effect. You know, though they actually had a lot of guys that came from Colorado Springs who figured it out like they, I'm they, not they weren't sure, good at Springs. But. I'm not sure it was that bad. Um in retrospect, it was good for building confidence. Ooh, that's if, quite the conspiracy theory. It, so, well, I will have you guys know that because Brewers uh fans hated Colorado Springs so much, we are now a 
uh, like high school elite affiliate. That's correct. Yep. Yes, that's right. Um, the vibes. Your the vibes. your mascot is a marshmallow. It's a marshmallow. It it's is a short it, no, season no, baseball. No, no. Our our mascot is a s'more. S'more. Yeah. That is on fire. <laughs> <laughs> He's horribly dying. It's hilarious. Yeah. Um, they, how, can you? I can't imagine. Like I, I know you're not into it at all. And thank goodness. If you're a Colorado Springs baseball fan, they went from Triple A baseball guys who pitched all year for Colorado Springs were helping the team in the playoffs, and now they are short season rookie ball i mean the drop in talent is so significant i would be so bummed out the amount of effort the amount of effort that went into sky Sox games from the sky Sox players was minimal oh wow that's the the pitchers tried and no one else broke a jog Hmm. (laughs) well you know when you're hitting in outer space it's difficult i love colorado springs lovely place lovely totally there is no gravity there so (laughs) not at all all right well hey if there's no gravity you guys can come do the incline with me It's, it's a mile of stairs no thanks. I'm good. I'm totally good. <laughs> I'll come for beer, but I'd not rather for drink that. a Miller in Milwaukee. Yeah, that's what I would. There you go. Indeed, Matt. Anything to plug before we go? Nope. Just follow just me on on uh, Twitter, Instagram, MySpace, Zanga. Uh, come to my mom's house. Look at some old pictures of me. You know that, that kind of stuff. Sounds good. All right, and um, you can follow me on Twitter at Badger Noonan. Um, my Shepherd Express first column leader should be up ne- um, tomorrow, theoretically. Um, and of course, you should listen to our sister podcast, the Milwaukee's Tailgate Podcast, which you can find on Patreon at Milwaukee's Tailgate, um, or patreon.com slash Milwaukee's Tailgate, and on Apple and wherever else you get your podcasts, where you can now find this podcast. We're finally on Apple. Thank goodness. Woo! Woo-hoo. People can actually find us and listen to us instead of pretending to. Um, and uh, we will be back next week with another one. Thanks, everybody.